What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam? Welcome to the Thursday edition of the DFS Lab for DraftKings. Pulling myself up onto the bigger screen, I see that there's kind of some purple spots under my eyes. Looks like I didn't get much sleep last night with uh, the kids being up throughout the night, but we're ready to rock and roll, build another DraftKings roster, try to get a deeper handle on what's a really unique and to me kind of challenging slate. So Keegan and I are going to go through this slate, talk through some of the top level stuff and build a roster, try to get a better sense of how we can attack this week three slate and also talk through DFS strategy, DFS theory, so that we understand in a more macro sense how we go about winning DFS tournaments. With that, let's get started. One week season. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back, Keegan. Glad to be back. We uh, we started trying to record about 20 minutes ago and had <laughs> some technical issues with microphones and whatnot. So glad we're able to get in the show. We almost switched to, uh, well, we almost switched to me doing a solo show. And then we were like, well, we still have to fix this problem because tomorrow we're going to we're gonna actually do a video where we dive into the optimizer together, which I think is going to be really cool, really valuable for viewers, I guess, less valuable for listeners, although we'll try to kind of keep it in a sense where, where listeners are able to understand everything we're walking through as well. But uh, yeah, today, some more, you know, kind of in, in app roster building on desktop roster building, talking through this slate. Have you had any further thoughts beyond, you know, yesterday we had that really unique Vikings chargers overstack. Uh, any new thoughts you're coming here with today? Um, yeah. The more I look at the, Texans Jags game, I it just becomes more enticing to me. I, I kind of really like I can see a lot of ways that one could go. And I'm I might lean towards um some more builds because I feel like there's um a lot of ways you can uh build that one just because of the the price points that some of the uh the Texans pieces are a bit cheaper. So you can uh grab maybe some more expensive guys like Diggs and uh Justin Jefferson. Yeah, so as we are recording, we don't have any NFL edge games up on the slate yet, but I know that in our group text with myself and Hilo and Mike and Zandamir, uh, I think it was Hilo had been talking about some CJ Stroud doubles and what that opens up on your roster. And it, it is interesting because I talked about this in week one and I might've mentioned it on here, but the most of these teams, if they come out, even if we don't expect them to win games, they come out of a loss or they're Oh, and two or whatever. And the demeanor around the team is so like heavy and they're just like, man, we're like, we've got to get this correct. We got to whatever, whatever. And D'Amico Ryan's Texans head coach, you know, first year as a head coach there is like smiling and he's positive and he's happy. And the whole demeanor around this team heading into the season was, was never one where they were fooling themselves into thinking we're going to go surprise people and make the playoffs. It was very much a demeanor of we're going to have guys who do their best on every single play and do their best every day of practice, and we're going to build on that in the future. And so taking that, we see a lot of these teams that they use a, a rookie quarterback's first or second year kind of trying to hide them as opposed to trying to just let them play football and develop them, whereas the Texans are really letting C.J. Stroud throw the ball. Now, obviously, they've been behind in both games, but won't they probably be behind against the Jags again? So, yeah, I think it's an interesting spot where C.J. Stroud is near the top of the league in pass attempts per game. And it could be another week where they're behind. My big concern there 
is just that the Jags defense is really good, right? We saw what they did to Kansas City. And obviously, Kansas City is still not Kansas City quite yet. They still need to put all their pieces together, figure out what they're doing. But the Jags defense is extremely fast, and they play a lot of zone defense. And so that's kind of, to me, a poor mix with a rookie quarterback. Because a rookie quarterback is going to see those open spaces that in college are open spaces. But in the NFL, they already close more quickly in a zone defense. And with the Jags speed, like those spaces are going to close really fast this week. So I'm trying to balance for me, like this expectation that CJ Stroud maybe makes a couple more mistakes than normal with the expectation that he'll still probably throw the ball a lot. And they're really only throwing the ball to three guys, right? Like, like Woods, I think Woods had nine targets last week. Nico had 11. Tank Dell had 10. We know, I mean, that's anytime you get double digit targets from one pass catcher on a team, that's gold. And that's basically three guys getting double-digit targets on one team and wouldn't be surprising if that happens again. So, yeah, I think that's really sharp. Are you looking at the the Jags side at all in that game? And kind of what Yes, I was about to say, let's look at the other side of that too because um, you've always said every every week we've, we've been on this um, podcast, uh, you always say you got to think, is this team going to throw when they're up? And you always say the Jags are the exception to that rule and they will throw. A lot of the time, um, Trevor Lawrence will just sling the ball down the field, and I really like that. And they have uh, Ridley now, and he got a lot of points. I think it was week one. Yeah, <clears throat> I have to go check, but he got I think a, quite a decent amount of points week one, not so much week two. Yeah, I mean he had he had like thirty two points or something like that week one. He had uh, eleven targets. I mean he had we went into halftime with like over twenty five points, and then they kind of adjusted their defense in the second half, slowed him down. But um, yeah, it, you know it's funny because I go through a whole process throughout the week of how I'm seeing games and, and some games I dip through the negative portions of, cause every game has positives and negatives in the ways we can look at them. So I'm kind of at a point in my week, I just finished my DFS interpretations, which if you are not an OWS member, we break down every game on the site in the NFL edge from like a macro perspective, how each team is going to try to win, because that's pretty critical for understanding how the game is likely to play out and how a game plays out is pretty critical for how much upside there is in a game. And then we also have DFS interpretations where we kind of break down what that means for DFS. So the game breakdowns are actually completely free for OWS free members worth checking out, even if you're just a season long fantasy player. Although if that's the case, I don't know why you're watching this show. Uh, but DFS interpretations, I was going through those, building those last night, putting them together this morning. And one of the things I was looking at in this game, again, talking about the negatives with like, man, those windows are going to close quickly for CJ Stroud. And then also, I, I think it's easy to overlook the fact that, you know, Trevor Lawrence did great last year and he went from kind of like people being like, man, is this guy a bust under the Urban Meyer era to halfway through the season, like things clicked and he started playing really well. And then that team had the big upset win in the wild card round. It's easy to overlook the fact that Trevor Lawrence has 36 career starts in the regular season. He's only gone for 300 plus yards six times. And he's only gone for more than two touchdowns five times in 36 games. And now they, they used to have this pie that was four players. You knew that Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, those were really the only guys touching the ball. And now it's five guys because you've added in Calvin Ridley. So it's a little bit harder to know with a high level of confidence where those points are going to go. And then also, you know, all there's a lot of these games on Trevor Lawrence's game logs that's 40 pass attempts, 250 passing yards, because he's very good at taking those short area throws and marching the field, but he doesn't attack downfield quite as much. So yeah, that's one of those spots where 
I started the week really high on the Texans passing attack. I got lower. I'm probably starting to trend back up in my expectations from that passing attack again, because again, the volume will be there more than likely. And sure, the window closes a few times, maybe instead of catching seven out of 10 passes, they catch six or five out of 10 passes, but uh, that volume is really valuable. I haven't quite come around on the Jags again yet, but I say that knowing that it won't be a surprise at all if one or even two of these guys come out of this game with a big game, you know, playing at home and trying to put up a, you know, a, a big score in a, in a spot where they're coming off of a loss and trying to establish themselves as a threat in the AFC. So, uh, yeah, I think that's some really interesting angles, especially on a week where everybody's going to be focused on a, a couple other games. This is a game to focus on. So with that, do you want to pull up, uh, should we pull up the, your screen and, and maybe yeah. start roster that actually focuses on this game from a starting point? <clears throat> yeah, sure. So, Quarterback wise, we have two options. We got CJ Stroud. Um, injury is he? He is playing. Yeah, so, yeah. I think he was. Let's see, limited participant in practice. I haven't seen anything that implies that he might be at risk of of not playing this week. And certainly, again, by and large, we use these as thought exercises to kind of get a sense of what building rosters in a macro sense looks like. And so. Uh, you know, I don't mind throwing a CJ Stroud on here. And if he doesn't play, totally fine, because we still get this practice of putting together a sharp roster. Um, but yeah, I actually, I mean, I think I like Stroud more in this spot than Trevor Lawrence, because if the game plays out the way you expect, you got Trevor Lawrence at 6,800, who doesn't have a lot of 300-yard games, right, in the way that he plays. And he's typically going to rush for those 15 to 25 yards, pick up a couple extra points there. But if Trevor Lawrence throws for 250 yards and three touchdowns, I mean, that's a pretty monster game in terms of those three touchdowns in this type of setup. And that's still only 22 DraftKings points at a, at a high price tag. And with them being the team that's likely to be in control, you run the risk of them leaning on the run deeper into the game. Whereas CJ Stroud, you're betting on him having to throw the ball a ton. And if he throws the ball a ton, if the Jags are winning this game, then he continues to throw the ball and, um, He's so much cheaper that, you know, you can kind of get the same type of score for a lot less in salary. Pair him with two pass catchers and all of a sudden you've got so much salary to work with. Right. Um, now, like you said, though, uh, yesterday, the Colts, I think, like you said, uh, his passing yards last week were probably because they couldn't run the ball. And you were saying how um, – you are always going up on the props over on the receiving yards and passing yards against the, the Colts defense. No, that was the Tennessee defense. Oh, the Titans, so, that's right. Oh my yeah. God. So we almost got 400 passing yards against just the Colts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, obviously a function of a, a defense that's not that great on the back end and a game where they fell behind pretty early, but, um, but yeah, I don't think that they're, you know, and they've got a banged up offensive line. They haven't been able to run the ball. So, so far, Damian Pierce hasn't made them, you know, force the ball to him. He's not playing at a high level right now. Devin Singletary's taking some of the touches away. They like, they don't really have a backfield that is compelling them to run the ball. And again, I don't like D'Amico Ryans is not a, he's not scared for his job. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's what happens with a lot of these early head coaches and, uh, you know, for again, if you're new to this show, context here is this is like my full time thing is NFL DFS and run OWS and um, and I've been doing this for ten years. 
Keegan, how old are you? 23. Keegan's yeah. 23, been playing DFS for two or three years, does this around his job. And so the job, newborn baby, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so the concept here is for Keegan to be able to kind of bounce ideas off me and me to help work through these rosters in a way that's also helping you, the viewer, the listener, work through these rosters. Um, I say that to say, what were we saying right before that? I actually just lost lost my train of thought. <laughs> I was I was just saying about um, the Colts, but it was the Titans. And I don't know why I said that, because I actually made two um, prop bets today based on uh, the Titans defense. The Titans, Titans defense forcing yeah. every opponent through the air. Yeah. Um, but the Colts, so are, is, are most teams going to pass that much against the Colts, or is this just like a Texans-based thing, like, like you said, with the new coach and uh, with the rookie quarterback? No, yeah, I mean, again, if you watch that game, like they fell behind quickly in that game. So instead of and, – and you do see a lot of teams that fall behind by two scores, and if their identity is run-based – they're still going to run the ball because two scores in today's NFL isn't that much to overcome if it's the first quarter, right? It's not like a team falls behind by two scores in the first quarter and they're like, we got to pass the ball. Because as soon as you start passing the ball and the defense knows you're passing the ball, they can change their entire approach and send those pass rushers play after play, right? As long as there's the threat of the run, those defensive ends, even the defensive tackles, they have to play those plays differently, which takes pressure off your quarterback, allows you to stay ahead of the sticks. So you don't want to get into that just pass-heavy mode unless that's kind of the offense that you're willing to run. Um, so, yeah, it was obviously a function of game flow, but also we see games that flow that way and don't immediately turn pass-heavy. Um, also, you saying that reminded me of, of where I was going with the discussion about what this show is. So you might not have followed D'Amico Ryan's career like a ton to this point but D'Amico Ryan's played for the Texans as a player was an elite linebacker for the Texans had a long career there and then got into coaching and was the defensive coordinator of the 49ers last year uh this actually the last couple of years took over I believe took over after Robert Robert Sala left to go to the Jets and D'Amico Ryan's has been the defensive coordinator there since then so the last couple of years and tremendous player tremendous defensive coordinator tremendous with the guys in the locker room that you know he's a young guy uh former elite nfl player they vibe well with him and he was in high demand you know one of the top coaching candidates last offseason so coming back to the texans where he played most of his career and being this in-demand coach he does not have the vibe of a lot of these first-time coaches where their mindset is almost like, I can't screw this up because this could be the only opportunity I have to be a head coach, right? Like he has the mindset of, I'm going to come in and, and be the savior of the Texans. It's going to take a little, a little while. It's cool because it is allowing him, like I said, like uh, he, he does a sit down each week with like a Texans media outlet and kind of talks through the team and talks through what they're, what they're working on, looks at some film. And he was just like, I think they recorded on Mondays, Mondays or Tuesdays, but he was just all smiles in that this week. And, you know, talking about mistakes his players are making, talking about good things they're doing and um, talking about how, you know, positivity is so important for the team. And, but it's just like, the cool thing about that is you see a spot where you don't have a rookie head coach who's like uptight and thinking like, Oh, I don't want to screw this up. You have a rookie head coach. Who's like, let's go out there and play. Let's take chances. You know, let's let CJ Stroud develop. Let's throw the ball. So yeah, it is a, it's a nice setup because when they fall behind, they're not like, Hey, let's, let's be careful. Let's run the ball. Let's make sure the stats look good. So that my coach isn't losing his job or <laughs> my coach making this decision. Isn't losing my job. It's more yeah. like, Hey, let's go out there. Let's keep, 
you know, putting good plays out there and, and learning from them. So, um, yeah, it, it sounds somewhat narrative driven, but the more we understand the coaches, the more we understand the teams and how they want to play, the more we can understand how the production is likely to shake out in a particular spot. So, yeah, it's a really, it's, I mean, it is a really interesting offense right now. And CJ Stroud looks good, man. Like, like Bryce Young, speaking of players or coaches playing tight, like Bryce Young is playing tight right now. And that offense is playing tight and they don't have the weapons that the Texans have, but like, they're almost like trying not to lose games by too much in the way that they're playing. They're being very conservative. And um, the Texans are just kind of letting CJ Stroud sling it. And he's, he sees the field well for a rookie quarterback uh, obviously has a good arm, good accuracy. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting spot for sure. I'm glad that we're talking about this spot because it helps me to keep developing my thoughts on it on, on what, again, is it just a very, it's not a bad week. Um, like we can't just categorize this week as a bad week. This is a week that doesn't line up as well for what I'm best at. Like my edge isn't as big this week. We talked a little bit about that yesterday and the reasons why I'll talk about that more on the site throughout the week, but there are other people like this is probably a week where Zandemir's edge is bigger than normal. There are other people who their edge is bigger on a week like this. Uh, my edge is smaller on a week like this, but same as an NFL team that goes into a game that's going to be competitive instead of a spot where they have a big edge. Like last week I had a big edge. Uh, you can still go in there and win it. You just got to, you know, find what the angles are to win it. So that's kind of my focus this week is keep digging through these spots and find what the angles are for me to take advantage of this week. So yeah, definitely an interesting offense to to be pinpointing and working through our thoughts on. Yeah, I'm glad we're going over that today. And um, I think we should probably go to wide receiver next, right? Yeah, and with, with Stroud, I, I think it would be foolish to not do a double stack just because it's it's so inexpensive and we know that those targets are going out there. Also, you know, the price tags didn't bump up on these guys. Nico Collins has had two good games. The targets have been there. Tank Dell's had one good game. Nobody's going to want to play Robert Woods, but Robert Woods has had a good game, a couple of good solid games, I guess. Um, so some, some of these guys will draw ownership, but we'll see a lot less ownership, all of these guys paired together. So uh, what we're ideally hoping for is Stroud has, you know, a 300-yard game with a couple touchdowns, and both of these guys get involved. And we've saved so much salary on this roster as well on a week where it's pretty valuable to pay up at some other spots. Awesome. So – Pairing wise or bring back wise, what are you thinking? Cause like you said earlier, they have so many pieces that they can, that can get points one week and that can be total duds the other. What is like the most likely against the Texans defense outcome wise to bring back against this? One team? of the things that we want to think about in DFS is just turning the math in our favor. So for example, last week, it was pretty likely that the 49ers skill position players would combine for about 80 DraftKings points. And you've got four guys who are dividing that pie, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. So you divide that up four ways and like somebody is going to have a really nice game, right? Christian McCaffrey ended up getting his typical 25 points. Debo Samuel put up about 25 points at, at 5k-ish in salary. So I had a rule last week. I didn't end up having a 49er player on every roster, but I think it was about 70% of my rosters had a 49ers piece on it. So I had some rosters that got hurt by Ayuk and Kittle not having their big game. But my, I think my second place roster in the slant had Debo on it. My 14th place roster in the slant had Debo on it. My 23rd place roster in the slant had Debo on it. Because again, somebody from that offense was going to hit. Take the Jags 
And last week, obviously, they didn't perform the way I expected them to against Kansas City. But last week, I expected them to also have about 80 points. But it's divided up among five guys. So you kind of see how if you look at the pie of available points on a team and then how confident are you? Or we talked earlier this year about Dave Canales, the Buccaneers offensive coordinator, saying you asked about Kate Otten. And I told you that Dave Canales had said, yeah, Kate Otten looks good. Look, <laughs> plays for Kate Otten. You know? And yeah. he's like, you design plays for Mike Evans, you design plays for Chris Godwin, and then like the targets spill out from there. So a team like that, you can say, okay, I know where the ball is going. It's going to be Rashad White. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. So the the Jags are nicer than a lot of teams in that they're not a team like Kansas City where nine different guys are going to catch the ball now or a Sean Payton team where they're just going to spread the ball around or a Saints team where maybe they concentrate the looks on, on these few guys, but once they get in the red zone, who knows who's going to touch the ball, right? They've always got crazy plays schemed up for some random tackle to get a touchdown or like third string tight end or whatever it might be that the defense isn't paying attention to. So the Jags are great because we know it's these five guys, but it's still five guys, which is a little bit more than we would love. And it's hard to necessarily know week to week who it's going to be. So Zay Jones might miss this week, which would obviously help us quite a bit. It condenses things. Uh, Then the Texans fundamentally should be easier to attack on the ground than through the air. So Travis Etienne kind of gets a boost through that. That said, Trevor Lawrence doesn't check the ball down to Etienne all that much. He's going to throw, he's going to take that eight yard pass to the, to the wide receiver, as opposed to the two yard pass to the running back. And they're not designing a lot of schemed pass game work for Travis Etienne. So the way I see it is at his price tag, if he gets five points through the air, like, you know, three catches for 20 yards and rushes for a hundred yards, that's still only 18 DraftKings points. So he really needs two touchdowns just to get up to 30 uh, or he needs outlier production through the air, outlier production on the ground. So yeah, I mean, there's drawbacks to all of these pieces. And I say all that to say, I honestly wouldn't mind like ETN could put up 19 and Ridley could put up 21 and Kirk could put up 14 and Ingram could put up 11. And like none of those are scores that you really had to have. Um, and yet the Jags could be having the type of game that forces the Texans to throw the ball a lot and be in comeback mode. And so, yeah, I honestly, it's a, it's a strange setup because typically people just auto play. You play a quarterback and two pass catchers. You're going to auto play the bring back. But if we actually work through it logically, the bring back isn't required in this spot. So that's not to say, we automatically don't play a bring back, but I do think it's important to lay that out is that the bring back isn't required in this spot. That said, Calvin Ridley can also go for 30 points. Travis Etienne can also go for 30 points. He did it a couple times last year. Uh, Christian Kirk can go for 25 to 30 points. Evan Ingram can go for 20. Uh, I would have a hard time kind of isolating who's likeliest to do it from this offense. But yeah, uh, to me, it's a question of what do you want to do here, right? Like you can do a bring back, but you don't have to. And I'll, I'll leave that up to you on this roster. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I like how you give both sides of the coin. Um, <laughs> and I do like how you said that they are going to be using ET in a little bit more on the ground, just against the Texans defense. It's a little bit easier. Um, this year, I expected him on week one. I expected him not to do as many points. I think just because of, um, I think last season you said something along the lines of um, they're going to like stop running him as much, but they might've changed that. Yeah. And I mean, last week, I think tank Bigsby had 
one touch or maybe no touches. It was like, it, it was like all Travis Etienne right now. So in terms of, you know, he almost has that Josh Jacobs type role where it's like, he's on the field every snap, almost every snap. He's going to get almost all the running back touches. Uh, he doesn't get the upside pass game work that Josh Jacobs gets where he's kind of catching the ball in the open field with a lot of room to run because the Raiders only have like one other guy to throw the ball to. Right. So they kind of figure out ways to get Josh Jacobs in space. Uh, the Jags don't have to do that as much with ETN, but yeah, I mean, he has the, he, he has a monopoly on that backfield. And so he's kind of up there with Tony Pollard's another one this week where it's like Tony Pollard's up until the Cowboys put that game out of reach. Tony Pollard's going to get almost all the touches in the Cowboys backfield. And that's always valuable because even if you can't predict whether or not that means they have a big game that week, just knowing that that's one less thing you're having to get right is valuable, right? Like some running backs, you have to like take Jameer Gibbs last week. He's capable of scoring 30 points, but first you had to get correct that they were going to use him enough. And then he would have to have that type of game. So it's always nice when you have a guy who the usage question mark is already taken care of. You don't have to worry about that. And then it's just like, does the production come? Um, so yeah, I think that Etienne's definitely a sharp play this week. Uh, it's just hard to like isolate him as a guy who you're paying up for and feeling I'm not confident he's going to put up 25 plus points, right? He could easily put up 14 or 16 points, which would kind of suck at his price tag, but he can also put up 30. So he's not like high confidence, but he's certainly a sharp play. Okay. Awesome. And then I feel most comfortable either going to tight end or defense after this, just to get a little base of the salary, but that's what I usually do. So Whatever. Yeah, no, and I think that's always sharp. I think that, you know, obviously there are different ways to build. I don't think this is, quote, the way to build, but this is the way you and I both kind of gravitate toward is lock in a few pieces first. If we're hand building, lock in a few pieces first, then go to that, especially that defense spot, get a sense of what our salary looks like elsewhere uh, and make those other decisions from there. Right. And we didn't get to have the Cowboys defense yesterday, so I'd like to try and get them. Today. We're gonna try. We're gonna try to force the Cowboys defense on. Um, <laughs> if we can't do it with C.J. Stroud and Nico Collins and Tank Dell, then you know you we're do doing something wrong. So uh, <laughs> not to say that, that we have to force them on this roster, but we'll definitely have some Stroud, Nico, Dell rosters this week that have the Cowboys on them. Um, all right, are you over next to you? Yeah, you can go to that RB2 spot or you can go over to tight end. I'm cool with uh, tight end. Kind of figure out what you want to do now. Um, <clears throat> I looked at – so what was that? Was that last Thursday's game? Um, I played – I think we talked about this. I played um, some like head-to-heads and I had TJ Hawkinson and I was really confident in him doing well that game and he got like 25 points I think or something like that. check. Yeah, he got 25 points and uh, – 66 yards, eight targets. Is he going to do that again this next game, or is it looking more like it's the Justin Jefferson show? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's always the Justin Jefferson show. Right? <laughs> and yeah. that's one of the things I said this week is uh, in, in my DFS interpretation for this game was that the Chargers have gotten embarrassed so far in the secondary, and they know that. So they think about if you're in that building, right? You're 0 2. You made the playoffs last year. Now they're playing the Vikings who are also 0-2 and have one of the best records in football last year. Like this is a desperate game for both teams. And the Chargers want to prove that they are a much better team, much better defense than they've looked like the first two weeks. And they're going to do everything they can to stop Justin Jefferson first and foremost. That said, every team that plays the Vikings 
goes out of their way to try to stop Justin Jefferson putting like a lot of plays. Justin Jefferson has three guys assigned to him. And yet we've still seen him put up 150 plus yards each game. So yeah. it's just, you know, what, what I said this week is, is what we know is that Justin Jefferson is the likeliest player on this slate to score 30 points. What we also know is that he did that half of his games last year. The other half of his games, he finished in like the low twenties or, or mid to high teens, right? He's going to have games this year where he scores 16 points when everybody looks at him, they're like, I have no idea how he doesn't have a huge game this week. You know, like there are going to be times this year where everybody's on him because it looks so good on paper and yet he disappoints at his price tag. So for me, I don't think, you know, obviously most, one of the traps most people fall into in DFS is that they're binary thinkers in most areas of their life. They're black and white. You know, this is this or that, right? So people want to take a stand. They want to say like Justin Jefferson definitely hits this week or Justin Jefferson definitely doesn't. Whereas I want to look at this and say, if we played out this game a hundred times, he probably hits for 25 plus points 60 times and probably disappoints another 35 or 40 times. And so I just want to build my rosters accordingly this week and have some rosters that have Justin Jefferson and recognize he's going to be popular and I'll do things differently in other spots of my roster and other rosters that don't have Justin Jefferson recognizing that if he misses this week, if he doesn't hit the Vikings are still probably putting up points, right? So it's probably going to be Alexander Madison, TJ Hawkinson, Jordan Addison, or KJ Osborne, one of those four guys. So yeah, for me, I don't want to get deep into the weeds of like trying to say this guy's going to have a good game this week or this guy's not so much. I want to say, the Vikings are going to have a good game. Like again, giving ourselves like checking off one box. Do we know Travis Etienne's going to have a huge game? No. Do we know he's going to get, get the workload? Yes. Do we know that Justin Jefferson's going to have a huge game? No. Do we know the Vikings are going to put up points? Like that's a high probability bet. And so that means somebody from this offense is going to be worth rostering similar to the, the 49ers last week. So yeah, uh, to me, it's less about is Hawkinson going to have a big game and more about like what better replacing on this roster and kind of, you know, placing that bet on this roster, place a different bet on another roster and, and fire multiple bullets in that build around, you know, recognizing that the Vikings and Chargers game is, is a pretty nice game this week. Yeah. And um, like you always say, you know, at the end of our, our show or whatever, um, <laughs> you go through the lineup and I was just thinking in my head, you know, you know, Hawkinson, we have him and we're taking points away from Jefferson at that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. So the idea would be, that we're obviously not going to put Justin Jefferson on this roster. And we're saying we've got Hawkinson and we're, what we're hoping for, what we're, what we're betting on, on this roster. And I say this too, sometimes is like, you can have a player on one roster out of a hundred. And that means if you only put a guy on one roster out of a hundred, you obviously don't think he's going to have a big game that week, but on that one roster where you play him, you're betting that he has a big game. And so on that one roster, the rest of your bets should be built around the understanding of like on this roster, I'm saying this guy has a monster game, right? And what does that mean for this roster? And how does this roster win if this guy has a monster game? So on this roster, we're saying Justin Jefferson disappoints, TJ Hawkinson has a big game. And so then another thing I want to think about is who are the players that Justin Jefferson rosters either are, are playing or that Justin Jefferson rosters are not able to play. And so what I mean by that is like, if somebody's playing Justin Jefferson, they probably don't have the salary to go up to Tony Pollard or something like that, right? Or 
if somebody's playing Justin Jefferson, they're probably saving salary by playing player X. And therefore, we can also try to take away points from player X. It's a little bit early in the week to know who player X might be. But those are other things I want to think about in terms of what's my clearest path to first place. Not only do I want Jefferson to disappoint on this roster, but now I also want to account for how do I move even farther ahead of those Jefferson rosters? What else are those Jefferson rosters doing and how do I account for that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you could say Jefferson rosters might pay down at running back. So even just having a double pay up at running back puts us in a different position. You might say I, Jefferson rosters. Yeah. What, what's your thought? I, I really like Eckler in this, just from the, the point for where you said that they can't pay up for um, a higher player. And I mean, you're again saying that game is going to have a, a high scoring outcome. And it does look like Eckler won't play this week, though. He's not going to play. He's questionable. Let's see. Yeah, but he missed. He, I mean, he missed every uh, practice last week. He missed practice on Wednesday. Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley, who <laughs> is like pretty mild mannered guy and and not super sharp in my opinion. I think in the opinion of most people, and in terms of being a head coach. But he uh, he snapped at a reporter the other day, and they asked him like, "What's the mood like in the locker room?" And he's like. We're zero two. What do you think the move? Like? <laughs> um, but yeah, he he's he's saying no timeline for Austin Eckler's injury. So to me, you know, sound obviously they'd love to get him back, and I think that he could go all week, not practice, and still play. But it looks to me like it's going to be a Josh Kelly week. I, I would say let's throw like just click the Eckler button just so we can see what it does to salary. Oh, okay. Um, as in like toss him, toss him on that raw. Okay. We got him on there. So we've got, yeah, still 4750 left. Right. So we can actually still work with a roster like this and take a guy like, um, I mean, if we're going to go the high, the high price point as well, I mean, we could just grab, um, Josh Kelly. Is that it? Yeah. Josh Kelly. But, but I think that we'll see, um, a decent amount of Justin Jefferson, Josh Kelly rosters. And so we actually would, to me, like one of the things I want to do here is kind of avoid what the yeah. Justin Jefferson rosters are doing just to separate even more. So that's why I like the idea of one of these high-priced running backs, like a Tony Pollard or if Eckler plays, Austin Eckler. Um, and, you know, we could even, what's cool here is Pollard plays in the late game and we have the Cowboys defense. So you could build this roster and then know that you have the salary flexibility to spend a few hundred extra on Eckler if he's active and then move from the Cowboys defense down to somebody else. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and then, and Eckler pairs, uh, I mean, Pollard pairs nicely with the Cowboys defense. And then another thing we can think about here is that we're not going to have the salary for Tyree kill. Who's also, you know, one of these guys at the high ends of the price range is going to be popular. Expect Jalen Waddle to be out this week. He's still in concussion protocol. So we could account for that and free up salary by taking Braxton Berrios. So Braxton Berrios is one of these guys, similar to Tank Dell, honestly, who just gets open. Um, not at the same level as Tank Dell, not as, at the same level as Puka Nakua. But if Waddle's out, then Braxton Berrios, it, I'll say it like this. So much of what the Dolphins do on offense, what makes them good, isn't how good Tyree Kill is or how good Jalen Waddle is. It's the strain of having both those guys on the field together and the speed of both them on the field together. And what Mike McDaniel does is he does a ton of pre-snap motion that typically pre-snap motion, you know, it starts like the guy's going to run across the formation. You got a second or two of them running across the formation. The defense has time to react or whatever. 
Uh, Mike McDaniel will do a lot of pre-snap motion that starts like almost like a false start. Like it starts almost at the same time as the snap. So it's like, the, and it's, they go fast. They don't like jog in motion, right? So Tyree Kill will start sprinting in motion and like a quarter of a second later, the ball gets snapped. So that forces yeah. the defense right before the snap to be like, wait, what's going on? What changes in our assignments? Like communicate all this stuff. So when you have Waddle on one side, Hill on the other, and that's going on, it's really hard to account for that. But if it's just Hill and you've got Pat Sertan on the, on the Broncos defense, like it just allows them to say, hey, like let's dedicate three guys on every play to Tyree Kill. And if he does this, the assignment changes and these two guys are on him. If he does this, the assignment changes and these two guys are on him. Um, and so not saying that Hill's going to have a bad game. He could blow up, but it's going to create one-on-one -on -one opportunities for other guys. And Braxton Berrios is good, is a really good route runner, good at getting open. So um, I actually really like him this week. And then this further, it furthers our strategy on this roster because we recognize, hey, we don't have Jefferson, but we're taking away points from him, trying to do something different than the Jefferson rosters. We don't have Tyree Kill. So we want to say, how do we account for Tyree Kill not having a big game? Let's get those points that he's not getting. Hope that Braxton Berrios is taking them away. So, uh, and then on top of that, we free up 6,400, which is a, a ton of salary and allows us to go to a Chargers piece opposite TJ Hawkinson in Mike Williams, who, as we talked about yesterday, you know, 13 targets last week and double digit targets should be in range for him again. We looked at his game logs yesterday, uh, you know, lots of 20, 25, 30 point games on his ledger. He's capable of putting up those types of games. So um, it actually ties things in really nicely on this roster too, where uh, we kind of complete a bet on that, on that game environment we really like and give ourselves an opportunity for, you know, a potentially, you know, tournament winning type game with a 30 plus pointer from Mike Williams, who will be popular, but not as popular as some of the other pieces in this game. Awesome. Yeah. I like uh, Mike Williams as well. Uh, one more thing. My dad wanted to know what your thoughts are on uh, Pittman this week. So, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to assume that Gardner Minshew is going to be playing quarterback. You know, Anthony Richardson has the concussion self-reported concussion did you see that that's uh what? yeah one of like the first times that we've actually seen that happen which um you know old school football that's like oh my gosh this guy taking himself out of the game but yeah. like with what we know about cte uh props to anthony richardson for being like yeah. bro i don't feel i don't feel right i gotta get checked for this um, <laughs> man gardner Minshew, he he looks like he looks like miniature white Patrick Mahomes sometimes like he was making some throws last week where he was getting tackled and like diving and throwing the ball sidearm uh yeah. making other off-platform throws but um yeah he gets rid of the ball really quickly he reads the, the defense quickly gets rid of the ball quickly and he's he's probably the top backup in the league and he's a better starter than what a lot of teams have and not say that these other teams should, oh, they should be starting Gardner Minshew because you've got a young quarterback or whatever the case is. And you're like, look, Gardner Minshew, we know what his ceiling is. And we might have a young guy who's worse than Gardner Minshew, but his ceiling is higher. Let's let's work on that. But like Gardner Minshew stepping in is not a downgrade for these pass catchers. And you can't run against Baltimore. Baltimore has a really, really good offense and is probably going to put up points. So we could see Minshew throw the ball 37, 38, 40 times in this game. Obviously, there's also potential for, you know, three and outs, and then the Ravens control the clock, and, and Minshew only throws it 30 times. But if the Colts are able to maintain drives, this could be a high-volume game. And, you know, same as some of these other teams we've talked about, 
we know that through the air, and in fact, like Zach Moss played almost all the snaps last week. I think he was the only running back to touch the ball and he'll be involved in the pass game, but not heavily. He's not a guy you scheme pass game work to. So similar to Austin Eckler missing last week for the chargers and yeah, Josh Kelly's going to get a couple catches, but that means more targets for Keenan Allen and Mike Williams than normal because you don't have the scheme targets to the running back. So similar setup here in that it elevates the target share for Michael Pittman and Josh Downs. The drawback to me with Michael Pittman is what's his pathway to being a tournament winner. You know, he costs over 60, I think he's 6,200 this week and you want him to score 30 points, right? Now, if he scores 20, 22, 24, you're still happy, but you still want to say like, what's his path to being a guy I had to have this week. And that's a little bit harder to see just because it's, it's harder for him to go for one of those hundred yard games. He's kind of a, a, you know, short to intermediate area role. Minshew's not going to take a lot of shots downfield. The Ravens won't give them a lot of time for shots downfield. So yeah, I, I actually like Pittman this week, but I probably like Josh Downs more because Josh Downs is, I think he's 3,500 um, and is going to get, you know, seven, eight, nine targets of his own more than likely. I think he has five and seven targets so far. Yeah. Let's, let's look at his, yeah. Five and seven targets in his two games so far. And um, you know, again, the, the counting stats aren't there yet, but if he gets nine targets and Pittman gets 11 or 12, like is downs more valuable at this cheaper price tag. So yeah. Um, shout out to your dad who happens to be my brother-in-law, uh, my wife's older brother, shout out to Keegan who happens to be my nephew. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, I actually think, I think it's an interesting play and I've, I keep looking at it this week. So yeah, I, um, I like it. I, 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 like I'm not sold on it. I think that there's definite downside, but the targets will be there. You know, I, I guess for me, I compare them to like Amari Cooper against the Titans who should see similar volume, um, but in a better spot. And Mike Williams uh, in this probable shootout against the Vikings who should see similar volume with more downfield work. Um, there's like a lot of guys in this 5K to low 6K price range who can go for 30 plus. And so that's the big thing for me with Pittman. I think he's actually a really sharp play, but then when you compare him to what else is available, he's a little less sharp to me than some of the other guys in that price range. So I'll, I'll definitely have some Pittman in large field play. I don't know if I'll have him on tighter builds. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's my thoughts. Man, I really like this roster. I like it because it's um, we go double pay up running back, which is automatically unique. We also get this Texans double, which will be, probably somewhat unique, you know, like let's say CJ Stroud's 5% owned or 3% owned or whatever he ends up being. And then what percentage play these exact same two wide receivers, right? So probably only one and a half to 2% of the tournament field has this starting point stack. Um, probably under 2% of the field is pairing Etienne and Pollard together. And then, you know, that means that this Texans double with Etienne and Pollard we're, you know, uh, a 10,000 entry tournament, we're probably competing against 25 to 50 rosters that have this setup, maybe even less than that. We might be competing against 20 rosters that have this same setup. And then, you know, from there, we're doing things differently and we're betting against the Jefferson rosters and taking full advantage of that by thinking about what else are the Jefferson rosters doing and what do we do differently, right? If Pollard hits, Jefferson rosters don't have those, we separate even more. If Tyree Kill misses, Again, Tyree Kill rosters probably don't have Pollard or ETN, definitely don't have them together because they wouldn't have the salary for it. 
And then we're getting those points that are taken away from, from Hill with Braxton Berrios. So we're creating a lot of paths to first place with a roster like this. And then again, you know, adding the Cowboys defense on a double pay up running back roster, most people aren't going to think to spend that salary. They're instead going to say, Oh, I could go cheaper at defense and spend up at another one of these spots. Right. So uh, yeah, really cool roster. I like it a lot. Any final thoughts on it before we get out of here? Uh, no, I also like it a lot. And this is again, another roster. <laughs> which I'm going to save and mess around with a little Set bit. Aside, yeah. <laughs> For yeah. Deeper into the league. I, I mean, this one is like, uh, I could see myself playing this exact roster. So I was uh, literally thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be in different, different contests and everybody watching this will have to be in different contests. Uh, these are thought exercises and, and you're not supposed to dupe this lineup. We had a, we had a one week last year where, you know, uh, Pete, Overzet will always say that on our Friday show, like don't don't dupe this lineup. And then there was one week where that lineup like finished would have finished like the top 0.1 percent of of all tournaments, and all these people yeah. were like, "Man, I should have used that lineup this week." <laughs> um, all right, cool. So as always, thanks for hanging out. We will see you, the viewer, the listener, on one week season throughout the weekend. A lot of free stuff on there. If you're not an OWS subscriber, you can get the game breakdowns for free. You can get several other things for free. Check out the One Week Season podcast feed where you can also catch this show and you can catch the game breakdowns on there on Fridays. Lots of cool stuff for you. Uh, Also, Week Pass is only 29 bucks. And we will see you back here on Saturday where Keith and I were recording it on Friday. We'll go up on Saturday on the podcast feed and on YouTube where we're going to take a look at the optimizer. Uh, Keegan, you've used an opto like a little bit, but but not at the deep level. Um, so yeah, going to be cool for Keegan to be able to kind of ask the questions that any of you who are non-opto users might have and, and talk about, again, if you're thinking, oh, I don't use an opto, so I won't come to that one. One of the things that I've been talking about this week is being able to run the optimizer and seeing it's, it's a lot easier to identify really good rosters than it is to build really good rosters. So if you can run that optimizer and then have 150 rosters in front of you and shop through those for your single entry three max play. Uh, it's really valuable. Since I started using an optimizer halfway through last season, I went eight and a half years only hand building, started using an optimizer halfway through last season, and I've had 70% profitable weekends in single entry and three max since I started using an optimizer. Because again, it allows you to see these all these rosters and allows you to kind of pick out which rosters are the sharpest rosters from this, this larger pool of rosters. So um, if your bankroll is big enough to justify you know an extra nine bucks a week, or so on an optimizer, it's extremely sharp to use one. It's going to sharpen your single entry three max play. So come back for that video on Saturday. With that, we will see you throughout the weekend and we will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. 